Hello everybody, welcome back to Rogue Retro Smackdown here on the Rogue Opinions podcasting feed. As you know, the last time you heard us was a few weeks ago where me and Paul did a, a very interesting watch along for for the post Judgment Day episode of Smackdown and now we're barreling towards King of the Ring with the pieces starting to fall into place into an episode into a pay-per-view that I personally am quite fond of. And I'm hoping my nostalgia will not let me down as it has in the past. But we've got a few more Smackdowns to go to get there. And to cover this episode of Smackdown with me is the man who's finally, you know, he's, he's crawled out of whatever hole he, he fell into, as Samuel Preston. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone who's listening. Um, I'm going to apologise in that I actually made a wrong turn and ended up in this podcast. Uh, I was trying to avoid a little bit longer just to annoy Scott, but unfortunately you just sometimes make that wrong turn and end up exactly where someone wants you. So you've got me now, I'm afraid. You've got me now. <laughs> well, you're here now, so did I shut up? Yeah. <laughs> I did wonder where these uh, handcuffs came from. I thought it was uh, the X or something like that. It popped in, but evidently it's yourself in order to get me in one place. Don't question about those cuffs. I had them with me. But <laughs> an important uh, kind of update regarding the Rogue Retro Smackdown review to kind of kick us off. I might get it kind of out of the way and not do it at the end because the end and might seem a bit somber if we do it then. But uh, this will actually be the last time that we do this with Sam as a as the more permanent co-host. Uh, Sam will be uh, back on the show. Uh, I think we're hoping to get him on for King of the Ring and making occasional appearances when he's got the time, maybe mainly for like big shows or pay-per-views. But uh, you may have noticed also there's been some gaps in episodes being released and, you know, take us almost three years to get through one year to fucking smack down and take a bit of a sort of frustration. I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, because, you know, there's been a mix of, of issues because I, I had a co-host, things happened, you know, they were out of our control, then I tried to do a guest thing, which wasn't sustainable long-term, and then uh, we had a good run, me and Sam, for the last couple of months, uh, and unfortunately, it's not. It's also not sustainable because we are both very busy, Sam especially, and, you know, I want this to go back to being a more regular thing, I want to, you know, proceed forward, uh, and make this more more of a weekly kind of thing than it has been recently. So unfortunately, as much as I enjoy podcasting with Sam, uh, he and I have had to depart ways, like Vin Diesel and Paul Walker at the end of whichever Fast and Furious that was. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the Fast movies took as uh, long to come out as our reviews do. Um, <laughs> so I'm... I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't gutted that it's had to come to this, but I think it's very vital to make sure that everyone knows that it was an idea that both of us had kind of gotten to independently, that maybe it wasn't working, the two of us together, and that's when it became a discussion in terms of what's best for the show, not what suits us and our um, availability, what's best for the show. And in that situation, I think it was a really... <sighs> It really very much the right idea to decide let's try and get the last couple of episodes in place, get to King of the Ring and hopefully have a full-time person who can be reliable enough to show up on a week-to-week basis as opposed to I'm busy one week, you're busy the other week, we're having to try and pick two days in a row, etc. Um, 
I think it would just be nice to be able to show up on shows n- knowing that you haven't had to wait three, four weeks for my availability. <laughs> it's more a case of like, ah, this is the right time for sound to appear. And we don't have to see him for another month so we can get through the rest of the episode. So um, <laughs> I'm in full support of this decision. Um, so if anyone out there is thinking, oh, they've had a fallout or something like that, it's the complete opposite. We're actually talking about what we want to do when we're available, but also taking on board that the only way for the show to go from strength to strength is to have reliability, and that can be the difference maker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, not that I don't enjoy doing this with Sam and his many thoughts. You know, I think it's there's been a good dynamic building over the last, you know, couple of months that we've been doing this. But yeah, like it was that kind of awkward you know, conversation that we both, you know, know, knew we needed to have. I'd kind of been putting off having it sooner because I didn't want to come across as like I was convinced that when I brought it up I'd seem like the arsehole you know when you said why are you not available for for shows but you know I think like you said it's about what's best for the so when it does mean that when you are on you know when, it does mean that when we do record either whether it's for this show or for something else that we want to do I think it's going to make it that bit more special and I'm sure Nathan will be happier I mean I don't know who I'm going to get to Divorce. I don't know how many thoughts they're going to have, but I'm sure Nathan will be happy to not have as many two and a bit hour reviews on a semi-weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure to some degrees Nathan may have been the one organising the schedule so we wouldn't see each other for once a month, uh, <laughs> just so he could have a rest from like um, from doing it. I, I have to admit, I actually was um, talking with my cousin earlier today and I was showing him some of the reviews done in preparation. And I said to her at one point, I remember that SmackDown episode. It was an hour and 20 minutes long. And he went, yeah, but you did an hour and 42 minutes speaking about it. I went, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's usually what it ends up being. Um, It's an achievement if it's less than two hours. And I think that's only because they cut most of my shit out. So (laughs) that's how they do it. But um, I definitely want to be able to have it that I can discuss some of the major pay-per-views. I won't lie, Fully Loaded 2000 is definitely one that... I want to be heavily involved in because it's one that's quite close to my heart, um, as is Armageddon 2000. So those ones I'm already like pencil my shit in, you know, so (laughs) I'm fucking on it. But being able to give you the freedom to some degrees to be able to just do these episodes on a regular basis without waiting on my ass can be a major (sighs) weight off your shoulders, I imagine, to some degrees, isn't it? Yeah, but then I put a whole new weight on my shoulders when I figure it like, who the fuck am I going to get to the film? Because, you know, it's surprising maybe it's like, I don't know that many people, <laughs> or at least that many people who might have the, the desire to talk about SmackDown on a weekly basis. So, you know, a whole new task. I'm going to have to get my, my board with my red, you know, threads and you know, try to solve the mystery of who who should have as the, have as the next co-host. <laughs> It'll be an ongoing journey. I'm sure it'll be tremendous fun. Um, uh, hopefully, the main thing is you find someone who can do um, an episode that's under 80 minutes, so that uh, episodes that aren't longer than the shows themselves they're reviewing. Um, I, I was going to say we, you could always do um, m- maybe with Carl, but then I remember the Mandalorian episode we discussed. I think that episode was only supposed to be like 40 to 50 minutes long, and we end up doing like what was it, an hour and a half, nearly two hours. I think it was still shorter than we thought it was going to be because <laughs> I, I, every time someone joins us for a show that haven't, we haven't done a show about, that we haven't done a show with like before, 
I always had to have to warn them that these things can go very long, but we were still surprised that it lasted. Uh, it went shorter than we expected it to. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and plus, I know I've, I've done some good stuff with Carl on this review before, but I don't know how much desire Carl has to do on a weekly basis because, you know, we me and him have our own you know, content that we do on Pod 90s and Carl barely, Carl barely watches modern wrestling at the minute, so I don't know how, how much he wants to go back and watch it. But, you know, you, you never know. It's an ongoing process. You know, if you could drag, drag poor Nathan and he has very little interest in wrestling in general, so he'll have a he'll ha- he'll have his own opinions. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait for those opinions. Those are always going to be tremendous fun. And at the end of it, it, you'll just be like, "Why did you invite me along again?" And we'll go, "We don't know, actually. You didn't recognise anyone. You didn't like anything." Um, yeah, it's been tremendous fun having you. Thank you. Bye bye. So- <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we will we will persevere, and you know we'll we'll focus on the here and now. And the now is a show that happened more than twenty two years ago. Uh, it is the June first episode of SmackDown, which means we now now first must look back at the Raw from May twenty ninth. Let's settle in, uh, Sam. You know, one last ride, as it were, to keep the Fast and Furious comparisons going. And I'll see you at the end. <laughs> so Raw opened as as his recap to the start of this episode. Smackdown with the Undertaker coming out uh, to the to the ring, and he basically before he could speak, he's interrupted by Triple H, and the whole regime all come out. And Triple H just basically repeats what he said last week that he didn't need the Undertaker himself; he would have beaten him without Taker's involvement. And oh, I should mention, honestly, did you for a I mean, point look back on last week's episode, like the week before that you missed, or do you need anything filled in from there? Because you know, we involved a very entertaining watch along. Pretend that I saw nothing. Just uh, treat me like I'm Nathan. <laughs> so basically, the Raw after King of the Ring, Rock Evans came out to the ring, said that he was going to bit the Rock in a four and one handicap match against Triple H, Shane, and uh, X Pac and Road Dog. Vince walked back to his limo. And then got attacked by the Rock, who then threw him in the limo. When Suki said it, limo to yell at the Rock, the Rock then casually strolled over, grabbed a bin, and hit him in the head with the bin lid. <laughs> <laughs> then the Rock just proceeded to take out all the other members of the McMahon Helmsley regime uh, during the night until they all suddenly re-emerged at the end to, to beat up the Rock, and then Taker came out again, similar to King of the Ring. So that was the main thing from the last, the previous week's Raw. I mean, you don't need to know about most of the Rods unless I've Deemed it important, but then the SmackDown the meme pulled out the watch song for Open with the Undertaker repeatedly trying to run over Vince, Stooges, and Shane uh, until they suddenly decided, oh, we run up these stairs, the motorbike can't go upstairs. Uh, all that was missing was for Shane and Vince to yell down, it's over, Taker, we have the high ground. And then Taker comes out, you know, Vince is annoyed at some security and police guys that he has in the ring saying that you didn't protect him. Like, well, you told them to meet you in the ring. Why didn't you have them meet you outside your limo? The other way, they would have actually been protection. But then he tries to claim that Taker has no right to be in the WWF because he, while he was away, he walked out of his responsibilities and his contract expired. To which Taker reminds him, oh, yeah, I've signed a new multi-deal, very lucrative deal, as authorised by your wife, Linda McMahon. <laughs> so Taker's back. Damn it, Linda. Damn it. Again. <laughs> Linda, will you please stop undermining me in front of my employees? 
Uh, the boys are here. You're embarrassing me in front of the boys. <laughs> Linda. <laughs> Stop then, embarrassing me. And then Linz tries to tell the cops to arrest you for, you know, attempted vehicular homicide in his words. And then he po- pokes at the uh, officers for while he tells them that. And then he said, well, technically for that, we can arrest you for assaulting a police officer as well. So we arrest Undertaker. We have to arrest you. And and Undertaker gets booked in a match with Shane and the main event, which barely even starts because because uh, the regime get involved and then The Rock has to then save Undertaker. Taker wrestles both on his match and SmackDown as is recapped here on Raw and his brief short match with Raw that also barely gets started. Wrestles pretty much with his bigger gear on and his match on SmackDown, he also wrestles in his jacket, so Taker clearly didn't come back in ring shape, as we can clearly see. Uh, Undertaker, are you going to take any clothes off at any point? No. You're going to wrestle in uh, an uh, extraneous amount of leather? Yes. (laughs) Okay, buddy, you do you. Uh, I feel sorry for anyone who has to wash your clothes. Taker, are you really going to keep the leather jacket on during the match? You know, you're not going to feel the benefit when you leave the arena. (laughs) I'll be driving. I won't notice it. So just keep on going. I just afterwards just hear like get your motor running. Dun, 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 dun. But it would be more like the Rock Monster from Neverending Story Three, where it's like get your motor running. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I so need to see that. The Undertaker in a Neverending Story riding his motorbike would be fucking amazing. I want <laughs> this shit now. Anyone listening to this who has some Photoshop skills and a lot of free time, go nuts. Just fucking do it get on it uh we will share it on rogue opinions we'll share it on our personal stuff we'll get it out there as much as possible it will say this was inspired and i'll say who by by the fucking idiot who's co-hosting <laughs> uh and then they'll turn in like where did that idiot go to? he's been replaced by a different idiot <laughs> we just have a continuous uh um roller coaster of idiots that come in and just take each place so this week's idiot let me introduce you to blah 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 blah. it's like a really bad version of the patula <laughs> oh i just that's just how i pick co-hosts now like if scott does not give you a microphone you have not been selected as the new co-host for the real great smart review you must back up your thing and go home <laughs> leave now and never come back to this place but I wanna. You have to leave. Linda, stop embarrassing me in front of the boys. You need to go, Fins. Fuck off. <laughs> it's okay. Stephanie will handle your duties while you're gone. Go off you go. Because we know she's always fantastic on the microphone. Where would we be without her promo skills? But I don't know where I was talking. But yeah, Taker <laughs> did did gain some weight while he was away, so he had to work, he had to spend the first year of his. Uh, Badass run, kind of working that off. Basically, Taker right now is the equivalent of that fat kid at the pool who doesn't want to take his shirt off, but then gets in the pool and puts, and his shirt is white and it clings to him. You can see how fat he is. So, if anything, he's just brought more attention to his size. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm bullying both fat children and the Undertaker at the one time. Uh, the only thing is, is that uh, the Undertaker, when he uh, does his Texas redneck uh, racist shit, you can get away with it. It's the fat kids that we're disappointing you about. I'll just break into a jog. They won't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That was harsh. But anyway, back to the wrestling. So, yeah, the, the, the stuff with Taker was the main bit of entertainment from uh, the Also, uh, S.A. Rios and Matt Hardy had a match, but then led to S.A. Rios attacking Lita 
and then the Hardys coming out to save her, and they carried her away, which basically means the beginning of that that relationship. To which me and uh, Paul joked the fact that with the, the way Lee was carried out, her arm, her hand was on Matt's ass, and we basically said we don't know if she's been if they started in real life, but really I think that's her way of saying claimed. <laughs> she's called dibs on Matt Hardy. Shotgun. So <laughs> I shotgun his ass. This is mine now. So get back off, everyone else. So done. <sighs> and it's begun. Yes. If, only, if only he had shotgunned her as well, he could have stopped Edge from ever getting to her. But anyway, that's uh, years away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the time we get to that, it might be 20, uh, 33. So uh, this is probably a good time to get rid of me and bring someone else in. So I think it's a really good idea. So <laughs> Yeah. We, the the only other thing you should really if you go back and listen to the watch song it's much better than actually watching the episode of Smackdown to which me and Paul basically talk about oh here comes so and so did he not do this no no I think it was that person you're thinking of and then occasionally just doing alter content oh that was a good move that uh, and then there's the interesting bit where I couldn't hold it in any longer I had to go to the toilet and Paul awkwardly tried to cut, talk over the uh, Steve Blackman match that happened in the semi main spot blasphemy Blasphemy! How does this man not appreciate the magnificence that is Steve motherfucking Blackman? So he is the man. You should love that guy. I would like to put in a formal complaint against your former co-host. Uh, Wait, denied. Is that me? Is it? Denied. Yes. Uh, I was, was going to say, I'm the former co-host. I'd be making a complaint against myself. Shit, this is about to get confusing, isn't it? Say back we to have the future. A, we, we, we already have a stack of complaints higher than I care to mention uh, on you, Sansard. Last thing we need is you complaining about yourself, but Paul, I will not hear complaints about because, well, he he shows up and I tell him to. I say, Paul, come here. <laughs> he, may be, he may be drunk when he does it, but he still, he'll still do it. But <laughs> it wasn't that he didn't have anything to say about Steve Lagman. It's just the fact that it was. we were basically doing the equivalent of it being live because it's a watch-along and he had to basically like, okay, I'm on my own now. What do I say? Because Paul... Paul will admit that he uh, benefits on our show from me heavily editing him at times. <laughs> not, that he, not that he doesn't have a thing, have his things to say, it's just I make him sound more presentable. I mean, to be fair, your commentary was still probably better than Michael Coe and Jerry the King Lawler, so I can't give you too much grief for that one. <laughs> uh, uh, I had a... Sorry to plug this in, but I, I had a shocking... Like Gerald Lawler comment on a podcast I did recently, Song of King of the Ring. We did a show on ESR about King of the Ring 2002. Uh, and obviously, there was a SmackDown match, but it was GR and King for the most of the show. So it was like the Cruiserweight title match of Noble versus the Hurricane. And basically, mm-hmm. I have no idea about this story, even though Michael Cohen, they had to throw it to Michael Cohen, GR, Michael Cohen, uh, Taz, sorry, to, to fill them in, do a quick piece to camera. But then they're basically just talking about rednecks and white trash and asking, if JRs ever lived in a trailer park, and then but King's doing his usual perfect comments about Nadia, who's in Damon Noble's corner, and JR says to, to King, she's young enough to be your daughter, to which King replies, what's the problem with that? I mean, considering your legal troubles, King, you should know exactly what's wrong with that. Because of his legal troubles, there should be a fucking muzzle on the man, I swear. It, oh, you I know I sometimes can't be trusted with like a live microphone, but the difference is that hopefully I've never given across an air of a paedophile, which he fucking does. It's just so uncomfortable at times. And 
talking about that, we are going to go into his segment on this show, which I'm imagining was probably just as uncomfortable for you as it was for me. But we'll get to that when we get to that. I mean, it's a big fuck you from the universe that they have. The flight final episode that you have as a full-time member of the Retro Smackdown team has probably Jerry Lawler at his absolute worst when you can play about Jerry Lawler. It's been a running theme of your time on this show. So basically you've been sent. Basically, I think it's trying to make you glad the universe is trying to make you as glad as possible that you don't have to talk about Jerry Lawler on a more regular basis. I, I know. When I realised, I thought to myself, can I stab Scott and get away with it? Um, because this shit just isn't on. Like, I can't believe it. But I guess if it's going to be my final full-time episode, we need to go through some bad as well as some good. So let's go. Yes. Then we go to the actual uh, start of Raw. I mean, we've, I've joked about the likes of these shows, and I usually have pin it on you, but a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about and the fact that we're not even started smacking it, a lot of that's on me. So, you know, I hold my hands up, but I'm trying to make us go out in typical Scott and Sam style here. Yeah. As, a, as, a, as all over the place as it can be, basically, isn't it? thousand percent. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Taker doesn't get a chance to speak because Triple H comes out. And said, I, I would have beaten the rock without your help. I am that damn good. And then Tigger defeats his, his uh, point clearly. He wants the WF title. Uh, DX and Tease are like, all come to the ring and gang up on him. But then the rock uh, comes out and Vince says, Ah, oh, I see we've got some sort of buddy system going on here. The rock helps Undertaker. Undertaker helps the rock. We've got two men with common goals the WWF Championship. Uh, and then they're in Vancouver, by the way, for the show. And then they tease one of them getting a title shot. And they says, you know what? Vancouver is even worth a title shot. Uh, you guys don't deserve to see a WF title match. And then he books Rock versus Taker in the main event. Uh, throughout the show, we, we see people, some Patterson and Road Dog mysteriously getting attacked by off-screen assailants. And then Vince is in his office and then the lights go out and you hear Stephanie screaming as it comes back up and someone's twatted Vince. Uh, probably Linda when she found out about how much he paid that woman he was shagging uh, the Rock and Undertaker have their match and then Vince comes out angry because he thinks it's one of them but neither of them will admit it and so he books it as a lumberjack match and the Rock and Taker decide fuck it they go after the lumberjacks and they actually manage to hold their own for the most part until the numbers get a bit too much for them Triple H is back in them with the bell and uh, they resume have all the power until the pyro goes off I'm wondering when he was going to come back because he's a big part of King of the Ring and out comes the big red Republican machine himself, Kane, <laughs> comes out, chokes lands for everybody, and then he holds up the WF title as well. So we end Raw knowing that there's three men who all want the WWF Championship. I can only imagine the level of excitement you had as soon as you saw this, where it was like, yes, Kane is actually going to matter. And then you looked on Twitter and went, Damn, Kane is going to matter. <laughs> Just very, very convicted. Um, I mean, the video package for the introduction of SmackDown that shows what's happening on War. I always love whenever the heroes or the baby faces are shown to actually be intelligent. And in this situation, I thought the fact that they both just went, fuck this, let's beat up the Lumberjacks. And in the end, it was only the numbers game that defeated them. So I like the fact that they just decided, you know what, they're going to attack us anyway. Let's just beat them to the punch. But then the sudden introduction of Kane adds such an interesting wrinkle to the WWF title division, especially considering that the last 
two to three months, you could say the only real major members of the WWF title division has been The Rock and Triple H, with little mm-hmm. glimpses with like Chris Jericho, Mick Foley, and Big Show. But mainly it's been around these two main people. And now you've gone from thinking, oh, is there going to be another repeat of Rock versus Triple H, or is it going to be just The Undertaker's uh, shoehorning in? Now, you've got four legitimate possible main eventers, which, considering how you portray Kane, he can be as legitimate as any of them. That you, It suddenly just creates such an interesting wrinkle, as I said. It, uh, it adds a new diameter to the entire division and i'm and it makes you curious about where they're going to go from here and i will say that final shot of kane holding the title with the ring posts on fire behind him is a really cool image so i can imagine if you were watching this as a child you would have been excited as hell um how it is in retrospect now that we know who what glenn jacobs is like i'm curious to hear as well but <laughs> i think apart from that i've as, a, as an open, it gets your attention. I, I would like to stress once again, I'm a fan of Kane, not Glenn Jacobs. <laughs> so, <laughs> must separate the man from the uh, from the uh, Republican. Yes. But, uh, the other two main things that happened uh, on Raw uh, that we should talk about before going into this is the King of the Ring. Two people have qualified for the King of the Ring, which is confusing because when you look at stuff online, this is actually credited as the first round of the King Ring, whereas all, you can, if we compare this to a, a qualifier, they said that the field for the King Ring is the biggest it's uh, ever been, because if you include the qualifying rounds, there's like 32 people getting involved, or as they say, 31 men and one woman with China getting involved. Uh, and Bill Buchanan qualified for the King of the Ring, defeating Steve Blackman, pause for Santa Cry. <laughs> and we- Rikishi defeated Shane by uh, disqualification because Triple H got tried to get involved. I have to say that starting off, um, I love King of the Ring. I think, well, I love most tournaments actually because I love the concept of an individual battling through several opponents to claim their victory at the end. I think it's one a tournament is is one of the best ways you can you can build up a title. Or an individual. And it's one of those, uh, anytime a tournament is announced, I'm like, yes, I'm in. And I want to see what happens. So the fact that this was a King, this is a King of Ring tournament with 32 individuals, which makes it the biggest ever at that time, instantly gets my attention. I'm like, I want to see what happens. Because not only can you build up multiple members of the roster, hopefully, in this, um, in this tournament, but... You can also incorporate quite a lot of stories or create new stories and it gives you opportunities or like new matches that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. And I think that's one of the positives of a tournament. If you can do a tournament well, you could end up with a Bret Hart or a Stone Cold Steve Austin, or you could end up with like Brian Danielson became infamous after a tournament he won in 2001. Zack Sabre Jr. won a tournament. I think it was the New Japan Cup where he went from a mm-hmm. mid-carder in New Japan to suddenly the most dangerous threat to uh, Kazuchika Okada's uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And that's how amazing a tournament can become in that it legitimizes everything around it if done well and considering how many members of the roster there is and the new members having joined over the last 12 months this is going to be a great opportunity for them to see who they can push um 
presumably not Billy Gunn. Um, <laughs> poor, poor bastard. He, I'm pretty poor sure he's still, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's still injured, so he won't even be able to defend his King of the Ring crown. And we will always have questions, but this. I am so excited for Ayato Met, and I love the attention that's given to the uh, qualifying matches, especially. You think that's uh, the following year he is healthy, and they don't even put him in the tournament? Like they have him, they have him do a segment on the uh, on the King of the Ring preview where he's at WF New York asking how he feels about the tournament and who he thinks going to win, and he just goes off and can tell how mid he is about not being involved. Uh, so. We'll go into the, the show and to mention, may mention this from Raw because it impacts the opening match because the show opens up with two cool music hitting everybody pops and we are just to our new WWF Tag Team Champions, which uh, I was surprised that this is the point where it happened, but basically, uh, this is a very 2000 thing to say, two cool won the WWF Tag Team titles with help from Joe C., uh, of Kid Rock Association because Eddie Christian saw him backstage and thought he was mini me from the Austin Powers movies because we were big at the time. And then they go to the ring and they apologize to him. And then they say, We want to, you know, embody Josie for a fight taking pose. So they bring out a pair of shoes and then kneel down on them. So basically, pretend they are small as well because <laughs> that's the kind of jokes you could get away with in 2000. Uh, Tukul had a good effort against Edge and Christian. Uh, Rikishi comes down, basically distracts the ref. Joe C comes in with a hockey stick, hits, I believe it's Christian in the balls. Uh, Grandma Six, and then, even though he's a face, uses the title belt. Uh, Tukul win, and they dance with Rikishi and Joe C. So, um, how surprised were you to open up the show and see Tukul in the opening match defending their tag team titles against uh, the Hardy Boys? Wondered how long the fuck I've been away. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I only missed one week. Where the hell have I been all this time? Um, a week I, is a long time in 2000. Evidently so. I've now started to realise that. I mean, um, do, going to just doing the monthly pay-per-views might have me almost as confused as the rest of your lads. But um, I, I kind of... I get it. I get why they've done it. And I think it actually makes tremendous sense. I think um, having had it at Judgment Day, you had the six-man tag team match and two cool um, how, uh, actually pinned Edge and Christian to win the match. I like the fact that that made them legitimate tag team challengers. So therefore, they were given an opportunity, a challenge for the title. Um, WWE, unfortunately, is always going to have it that if they can incorporate a um, a real world superstar into a match they're going to i mean you just have to look at john stewart interfering on behalf of seth rollins at SummerSlam against john cena which every time i say sentences like that i just feed to myself <laughs> wrestling's fucking weird actually <laughs> but when you've got an entire storyline of how oh joe c of kid rock interfered because of the fact that he got called the wrong name of mini me are you just like this like i'm pretty sure there's people under the age of 21 listening to this so if again i don't understand half the sentence that scott said when he explained that and for once it's not because of a scottish accent um so i mean, I mean it's josie who who obviously is a hate man for kid rock being compared to mini me by tagging giants edge and christian i think it's the most 2000 centered if you said like Incorporate the year 2000 into one sentence. That's the sentence I'd probably give you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised that there is an allegations of uh, 
um, us, but uh, of being dwarfophobic or anything like that, because you've got Mini Me, who the whole point of him is that he doesn't talk, and then you've got Joe C, who doesn't shut the fuck up. So, you know, being the hype man, it should be very difficult to confuse the two. And I, it's it's weird, but also it's probably a just reward for too cool considering mm. how well they've been doing pretty much the last six months. They become a favorite of the actual, um, WWE, well, WWF fans. It was at that point, not the WWE universe. Uh, they've been included in big matches such as the huge 10 man tag team match with Rikishi, Mick Foley and the rock against the radicals, Triple H and X-Pac. And they've become, reliable um gimmick that can open up the shows and get the crowd invested and you know at this point edging christian hardy boys even the dudley boys technically you could go so far as to say they don't necessarily need the titles like they will eventually challenge for the titles and win them back but they can go a month or two without actually having them because they don't need them to be as over as they are so this gives a really good opportunity for a team like Too Cool to get a reward. They've beaten Edge and Christian in a six-man tag team match to become legitimate challengers. They've then won the match, become the champions. So it was a bit of a surprise, but when you look deep into it, I think actually it's just what it should be. And having a match against the Hardy Boys uh, could probably be good enough to appear on any pay-per-view but lucky smackdown audience gets to see it on a random episode of smackdown yeah i open up with a match not just a match but a title match as well a rarity on, on smackdown and the hardys do have their fair share of fans you can hear but it does feel like it points you know they're, they're working heel you know they're sending the grandmaster into the steps and you know working over scotty and there's a big build to like a hot tag from too cool with the entire there's a big venue that they're in by the way in tacoma with the entire crowd all doing the clap along with it with too cool. I love the moment where Jeff's kind of like looking out at Grandma's sexy he's just dumped to the outside, which allows Sky to sneak up behind him and do like the, the face buster, which then goes into the worm, which is full on the W O R M. But uh, at this point, so a good back and forth. You've got Lita watching from behind, from backstage, thinking, hmm, those Hardy boys, you know, I definitely think that's the team I can get behind for a good couple of years. And and uh, it does actually. There was a point where, like, Jeff hits this one, and I thought, like, Grandmaster's just standing on the outside. So someone must have like, Hardy's looks like there's no way the Hardys can can lose here. They just hit their finish. Like, like, I remember the two girls being being longer, and then pff, out gains Pyro hits. And I thought, oh god, like, there we go. Like, oh, we're happy for two girls to be the champions, but like, we also really like the Hardys. We see a few of the Hardys, so we can't have the Hardys lose to two girls, even though they're the champions. Come on, you come. I legitimately thought very similar to you. I think uh, uh, pretty much for all of it, I was already thinking, right, there's two storylines minimum that have been tied in. There's two calls recent victories to become tag team champions and proving that it's not just a flash in the pan. And you're also having Lita having been saved by the Hardy Boys recently. So both of those storylines are being built upon. And I was writing in my notes at the time, like very sloppy from Grandmaster Sexy because he eliminates Matt out of the ring completely ignoring Jeff hitting the Swanton bomb on Scotty. And then Sexy just stood out of the ring and I'm thinking, you idiot, what are you doing? And then Kane's pyro went off and I, my notes actually said, Grandmaster is so lucky Kane interfered on this, we have to save them. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just very stupid, but um, it is one of those unfortunate habits of where a 
what could be a really interesting big match between two opponents or two teams ends in a very um, underwhelming matter to go to what's really important, which is our, as always, second segment promo that features Triple H. But first of all, we get someone new. Who's Kane? Well done, Kane. This is the time <laughs> when we could trust him with a microphone because he didn't say too much. <laughs> yeah, because he comes out, he talks to Jeff, he talks to Scott. What I admire is that he does it with one hand while still holding the WF Championship with the other hand. Just this effortless, like, oh, fuck you. Because basically these two, they're, they're fairly light and they're very good sailors. But uh, they make a big deal out of Kane even getting the microphone because it, when he was with uh, Xbox, Xbox suddenly helped him overcome his deformities with his vocal cords and needing that voice box. Like, no, you don't need the voice box. So Kane managed to say suck it in very few, very few other words without the voice box in late 99, but he hadn't really spoken a lot since he did, like, people like Tory or Paul Berry do his talking for him. So to see the big deal of, like, one of the first proper promos that Kane did without the voice box. Uh, and if you and if you could understand him, you know, good on you. Because he gets on the microphone and he says, Triple H. I'm here to defend the rights of on board. No, 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 guys, no, no political <laughs> politics tonight. Glenn, no, you only have 12 words you're allowed to use. Stick to those 12 words. Triple H, WWF title, get out here. No. I think I, I almost did do 12 words there, actually, off the top of my head. That was almost perfect. Damn it. <sighs> uh, I almost agreed with Jerry Law asking the fans not to chant also because the longer you chant at him, the longer he's going to stop himself from speaking, and the quicker Triple H can get out what he wants to say, the shorter this segment will be. <laughs> and he basically just talks down to Kane as if he's talking to a child. He's like, Kane, I know you with your limited intelligence. Even you can understand that belt doesn't belong to you. That belongs to me. And he's like, why don't you come and get it? Uh, I mean, I feel like a fucking robot. But he, he said, he doesn't even have his logic thing yet, but he said, he like said, like, oh, you know what? Definitely Red Seppi works for something easier. He goes, you know what? She's right. I'll give you anything you want. You get, I'll give you something. Everybody wants something from me, and I'll give it to you, and you can give me back my title. So anything you want. And then King basically says, I want a title match. And Trilich has a look at her to say, I walked right into that one. Yeah. He's like, okay, you're smarter <laughs> than you. Smarter than you look. And he says, okay, I'll give you a match with me and you tonight. And if you win, you'll get a title shot at the King of the Ring. And Kane seems to be happy with that. And then Triple H is sick of being, you know, his version of, you know, reasonable. Goes, okay, now that everyone gets what they want, give me back my fucking belt. And they even bleep it so you can tell he said fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the fact that Triple H was, like, being relatively, like, cocky feature himself. Oh, he's probably just going to ask for something like sun cream for the help of his recent burns or some shit like that. And in fact, it turns out Kane's a really smart fucker. This is obviously where the rumor in the in the locker room that he was the smartest man in there came out. Uh, thanks, WWF locker room. Fuck you guys. Uh, and Triple H the whole time, having finally lost his cool, I just went, give me back my bow! And it's like a second away from doing a temper tantrum. Like when Christian was being taught by DDP and started throwing a tantrum every time he lost the match and I, like part of me really wanted triple h to stamp his feet on the ground and i fucking would have loved it it would have been amazing but um do you know what fair play uh this was very intelligent play from triple h and it really shows surprisingly how easy um 
Triple H can be played if you have some like for someone who prides himself as being the cerebral assassin. All it took was someone to take his belt away, and suddenly he's willing to give them anything they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially going in the game ring, they're going to be emphasizing how important that belt, having that belt, is to Triple H, and the idea of it being in jeopardy is really starting uh, to unwind a little bit. And then. And then Triple H Kane hands the belt to a referee who takes up the rap to Triple H. Uh, and then Triple H basically says, you know, I am that damn good. So, you know, you're not even going to get your title shot, King of the Ring. Then Kane says, enjoy the title while you've got it. Because you may be that damn good, but I am that damn bad. To which point I thought, oh, Kane, don't put yourself down. I mean, your political views are a bit skewed, but as a wrestler, you're perfectly comfortable. I mean, he's no Steve Blackman, but, you know, he's a solid hand, um, like the one that's unburned, obviously. Uh, he's a solid glove, you know, he's a, he can be relied upon. He's a solid glove. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching this, like, hmm, did, did anyone really think that catchphrase for Kane was really going to work? Is Kane someone who needs a catchphrase? I mean, Kane, don't, don't make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's been two years. Uh, I'm that bad. Just isn't going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to wait 20 years for Kip Sabian to get that shit down. It's super bad. <laughs> and then we cut backstage to Vince coming out of his limousine. He's got Xbox and Road Dog in there as well. At which point, The Undertaker wrote more bike revs up and Vince immediately runs back into his limo, back into his safe space. Is <laughs> Undertaker just then circles them like the, like the last act of fucking Jaws? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he basically said, like, what the hell do you want? Who the hell do you think you are? Well, I'm going to take this soup bomb, boy, and take a rat through your face. Because <laughs> Undertaker is a typical Texan man. He's uh, also a chef because he has a soup bone, or a soup bowl always at the ready, which I love. Uh, I just want to imagine him saying, go, no soup for you, if they don't give him the title shot. So there was food riding on this fence. You should really take up the offer. Uh, he basically said he, wa- he also wants a title shot as well. And so uh, Vince says, "Okay, you need to. F- if you want a title shot, you can have it, King of the Ring." And Undertaker seems annoyed about having it, getting to be in a title match. And Baby's like, "No, I want it now." Like, no, you get it, King of the Ring. You don't get it at all. And Vince says, "But you need to tonight by Xbox and Road Dog in a handicap match and win it, and then you'll get your title shot." Uh, I love how Xbox for a brief second goes, "Yeah, to fight Xbox." He's like, "What?" And Road Dog in a handicap match. He's like, "Okay, I'm slightly more confident all of a sudden." <laughs> Uh, to this point then after the break it gets to they resume all in the locker room and it's like a bit out of a bloody like, that halfway point in a sitcom where everyone realises the misunderstanding and then they have to deal with the hijinks that fall like wait wait a minute you almost you promised Undertaker you'd be a number one contender well I promised Kane he could be the number one contender well what'd you do that for oh god here comes Shane oh god now The Rock wants to be number one contender what are we gonna do Oh, it's the clown music. <laughs> Join us after the break where hijinks no no doubt will ensue. <laughs> Welcome back to Hijinks Galore with our guest hosts, Shane McMahon, Edge, and Christian. <laughs> yeah, because then they're like, What did you do? Or like, oh, do you not think Xbox and Road Dog can win? Like, that's not what I said, but you should have told me because I just promised Keen if he beat me today, he could be no one could hit him. Well, what did you do that for? <laughs> and like, what well, do you not believe I can't beat Kane? And then you see Shane getting out of a car with Edge and Christian and says, okay, guys, like, you guys can get a, a shot at the tag team titles uh, if you beat The Rock in the handicap match. And if The Rock wins, then he can get a number one contender, that he's an own contender, the WAF title, because 
because uh, he's been hounding uh, Shane for a title shot. So he said, right, fine. So The Rock can't say I didn't give him an opportunity. And then they're all watching on the TV. So it proves that wrestlers sometimes do watch the show. And they're all just like, oh, fuck's sake, Shane's an idiot. Like, how could they have the high ground over Shane and not want to talk to Shane when he's basically just made the same fucking mistake you lot have just made? So you're all fucking idiots. <laughs> do do as I say, not as I do. Uh, they would be the world's worst teachers or mentors. It's like, don't go around offering people title shots. But you did that. Yeah, but when I do it, it's fine, obviously. <laughs> wow, it really does make it sound like the Republicans. Jesus, when did this become a political John Stewart show? Fuck, we need to move on from this. Um, do you know what? I, this may surprise you to hear it. I love this storyline. I love it. I think it's really good because they did it in a way that, yes, all all three matches came about because like the uh, bad guys are being idiots, but it's their own hubris that sets themselves up. And that's how they end up screwing themselves over in that, like, each one, Triple H, Vince and Shane think they're so, like, clever and cocky, etc., and come up with this way of um, defeating their enemies. And it's the lack of communication between them that really caused them to be put in this position. And I love the way it instantly builds upon itself, where we've seen for, for months... The McMahon Holmesy reg- regime will take will have it that they don't show up to the show until like twenty minutes into the show. Well, guess what? This time that backfired on you because you've made matches without checking what's going on, and you've ended up creating three possible number one, technically four possible number one contenders. Because let's give Edge and Christian a semblance of a possibility of defeating The Rock on SmackDown. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so three legitimate possibilities of becoming number one contenders, um, be, but is that lack of communication now has got them at each other's throat? And I love the way it so subtly builds and just comes out of nowhere. And yes, it does have a bit of a comedic slapstick to it, sort of like a, "Oh, what you gonna do? Damn it, Urkel! Why'd you set me up on free dates on the same night?" Yeah, I don't know. Did I do that? Yes, you did. <laughs> um, it's happened. And do you know what? It's probably the best way they could have done it. And now you're, it sets up the second half of the show so that if you weren't, if your friends weren't watching it, you'd already be probably, well, I was about to say messaging them, but you probably couldn't text back at this point, uh, ringing them saying like, mate, Kane, Undertaker, and the what could all become the one contender tonight. And they'll be like, oh, it's a triple threat match. I'll log on. It turns out, oh, no, it's three um, matches. But yeah, anyway, but you get people involved. And it's a really good way of setting up a story in the episode and building upon it in the second half. And this is one of the things that I sometimes miss at how good WWE used to be, especially at this time, is like setting up a story at the beginning of the show, building on it throughout and culminating at the end whilst telling the overall story um, between pay-per-view. And it's one of the reasons why, at one point, they were legitimately one of the best shows on television, because they could mix that episodic nature and long-term nature. And this is a really good example of how they can do really good episodic stories. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about them setting up a main event, you know, having a main event before the show. They clearly didn't have half their show booked before the show started, because they just put the three top matches right in the opening. I mean, uh, before this segment, the big, one of the biggest matches they had involved Tukil fighting the Hardys, and Tukil were probably going to lose that if Keaton hadn't shown up. Mm-hmm. So, we got to go into another King of the Ring qualifying match where Kurt Angle's coming out. He lost an Intercontinental title match last week on SmackDown to Benoit and lost. 
in a European title match with Eddie Guerrero after China got involved. So he comes out, he's done it. You know, it's hard for me to say this, but, you know, your Olympic hero, for the first time, is in a bit of a slump. And, uh, you know, I failed to capture European gold. I failed to capture intercontinental gold. And I'm not used to this. You know, I'm used to being a winner. You know, you guys, are, you people are probably used to failing, but I'm a winner. So, so I'm so confident I can win the King of the Ring and bounce back my luck. I didn't even, I didn't even try to find out who my opponent is. Then out comes Bradshaw. And uh, Kurt tries to wrestle, probably wrestle him. But Bradshaw just beats the fuck out of him. He's just here to fight. I actually got a close near fall, even though I know Kurt's going to be in the King. Knew, I knew Kurt was going to advance in the King of the Ring. I, I still thought, like, Jesus, yeah, he said he's finished. He's just had the clothing from Hill. But Kurt, doing that eye, the intelligence, he rolled towards the ropes the way he did. I actually really enjoyed several aspects of this match in that um, Angle coming in saying that he's put, he's going to be. Uh, win the King of the Ring tournament and he's so confident he doesn't even check to see who his opponent is. Um, that could have been a really interesting continuation of the story of the night so far, which is a bad guy's hubris sets themselves up for a fall. And if you're watching this live, you could actually be thinking to yourself, wow, actually Kurt Angle could lose here because this continues the story of what's happened so far where the bad guys getting all cocky and confident. Um, end up screwing themselves over um having that his opponent turn out to be someone like bradshaw who is tough enough that you think oh shit he's gonna beat the crap out of Kurt angle but also is low enough on the card that if angle did win it wouldn't damage them because bradshaw is more about just getting into a fight he doesn't really care if he wins or loses he just wants to hit someone and the contrast of styles is really fascinating in that you have Angles going for suplexes and Bradshaw is clubbing him on the back every, champion, every chance he has. I'm pretty sure that Angle probably came out with his back looking like Cody Rose's pack. It was ridiculous. Um, and even the clothesline from hell, I thought was an excellent microcosm of the t- difference between the two characters in that Bradshaw hits the clothesline from hell, but rather than going straight away for the victory, he takes a moment... And that allows Kurt Angle to roll away slightly to get himself within position of the ropes. So it shows like Bradshaw is a fighter, but doesn't necessarily take winning as seriously as he should. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. Whereas Angle, even when he's struggling, reads the game well enough that he's able to place himself in the best position to protect him. And then that ties into the finish which you notice that when Angle hits the Olympic slam, he doesn't mess around. He doesn't wait. He doesn't just like like do a Bradshaw and wait a second or two to cover. As soon as he lands, he's on top, free count, done. And that shows the difference between why Kurt Angle qualifies and Bradshaw doesn't. You still there? Sorry, speaking in my microphone was fucking muted. <laughs> I felt like I was back at work then with all like the amount of times I usually finish and go. And if you're responding now, you're probably on mute. And my team leader usually going, yes, yes. I was just whittling away on mute. Thank you for letting me know. So. <laughs> oh, what I am. I'm keeping that in. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. But yeah, if you told me like five like, years from this point, that these two would be involved in a feud for the WF for the WWE title. I'd find it hard to believe you, but even those who did believe you, also probably wouldn't believe you if you told them that Braja was going to be the one who was the defending champion uh, going yeah. 
That is absolutely insane. Like you could, like if someone had said to you, like in the next five years, one of these would have been WWE champion. You go, yeah, that sounds legit. So you said both of them would be WWE champion. You go, how many of the main event has got fucking fired? Yeah, <laughs> what the hell happened? So it's very amusing to some degrees and it's one of the reasons why i love doing these retro reviews at time is that seeing the difference between where they were at then and where they are are at now um at that point you would never consider both of them becoming wwe champions but that's going to be one of the most fascinating parts of these retro reviews is being able to see the path and journeys that they take in order to become those wwe champions yeah uh, I mentioned the, the, the other heels not wanting to talk to Shane, so I'll probably mention that that segment comes up next where Shane goes into the locker room and nobody wants to talk to him from the McMahon regime, which I've signed up in one sentence. Everybody hates Shane. We said takes us into our Intercontinental title match with Joel Brown trying to challenge Ben Watt, and I don't know what he's done to deserve an Intercontinental title match other than be involved in a shit six person tag match, which he was involved in on Raw, where it was him. Terry Stark and Terry taking on the Godfather, Dean Malenko and uh, the Cat. And I, my only note for it was, with, a, with an exclamation mark at the end, he was win, who gives a fuck? <laughs> but who got the who got the victory? Which one of the heels actually got the pin or submission? I don't even, I don't even fucking remember it. <laughs> maybe it was d I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and say it was d So that's maybe how he earned this title shot. I will I give them know. the benefit of the doubt as well. I'll say like d obviously got the pinfall uh, and was celebrating. As soon as he got backstage, where do you know what? I should have an IC title match. And he probably picked Shane after half an hour in a limo with Edge and Christian. He went, do you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? Everyone wants something. You can have an IC title shot. You know, you pick Shane on the right day. Hey, you can have anything, hey, evidently. Yeah. He was shaking his head and changed general direction for 30 minutes straight. Like, all right, for God's sake, just please stop doing that wobble. Please, just leave me alone. We've got enough people come on at me about title shots. But yeah, I mean, I'm not that I complain on the idea of Deal getting a title shot on TV because, you know, any prominent, any sense of prominence that he can get on TV at this stage in his WF run is, is welcome because I know how quickly he does kind of fall down the totem pole. At this point, you know, now that he's no longer you know, Mr. European title. But, you know, it was a decent, you know, match he was doing. Deal's working the heel. Then, you know, had some really vicious looking shots in the corner. Deal gets a bit of a, a poke in the eye, uh, followed by a sidewalk slam. Uh, he goes, he hits a, there's a moonsault at one point, which looked excellent. Uh, but then a really unique uh, finish here with the sky high into the cross face uh, and the quick tap out. So, you know, not a, not a long match, you know, but at least Deal got this opportunity and. You know, it did seem like, you know, it kind of put over how good Benoit is, especially with that cross face, that even though Dilo was in control, Benoit managed to catch him out of nowhere, and that's how he got the win. So Benoit, you know, wasn't as quick as he was in that moment. There's a chance, you no know, Dilo could have won the IC title. Yeah, I thought this was a surprisingly physical battle. Like, some of those chops mm-hmm. and suplexes um, were getting winces for me, and the level of intensity from both men... Um, which you expect from Benoit, not necessarily from D'Lo, but how intense he was throughout the match um, really showed how important this match was to him, which is, I I always love um, being able to see how much a match means to someone. And the reversal of the sky high into the crypto crossface, I thought was so well done. And it shows how 
Benoit can be such a good um, fighting champion. He keeps on uh, wrestling pretty much like at least once a week, defending the title, going out, doing his best. And he finds a way to win because he is that damn good. Um, this match, I thought was was good, despite being less than five minutes. And the thing for me, I felt it was like a 10, 12 minute match on speed where it almost cut out any of the flab and just like went straight, boom, boom, boom. And by the end of it, I speak to myself, I actually feel like this match should have had some more time and would have become even better because I feel like a 10, 12 minute match at this could have legitimately been like a, not a match of the year contender, but it would have been a hidden gem. And instantly the one I would have said, you need to watch this match um, mm-hmm. for this episode. But unfortunately it's, it's like a, it's like a really edited down version of what could have been um, still good. Yeah. Still no complaints. I just know that they could have done even better. Um, and they definitely deserved more time. Um, speaking of which, what do we have next? I mean, this match, like many others of this era on like the SmackDown, is like like when you're, when you're watching a regular match, but then you, you fast forward it in like 1.5 speed. So it's like the same match, but just everybody's speaking. Everyone speaks faster and moves faster. So that's what a lot of these seem like. People just watching on fast forward, like mid for quickly, for quickly. Uh, honestly, up to this point, this, this has been a very good show. Also, but after this, we get uh, Vince trying to give a pet talk to Rex Buck and Rodo for their match later on. And I think up to this point, it's been a very good episode of SmackDown, and overall, I think it's a good episode of SmackDown. And I think with this next segment, I compare this episode of SmackDown to a really good portion of fries. You got a very good portion of fries, and they're very edible, very soft. And then you pull that one fry out that's either black or a little bit green on it, like, oh, that one shitty looking fry and a, mixed, and a big portion of deliciousness. That's what this next segment is. That's what I describe it because, for one, it gets more time than it deserves. And really, I just didn't want to see it. It's an arm wrestling contest between the cat and Terry. I just point out, this feud's been going since like March. We're in June now. We're starting June in 2000. How is this? going on how's this a multi-month feud that keeps popping back up you know it's like it's like fucking a new variant of COVID. it keeps popping up every so on just when you think you've got the hang of it and it just pops right back up you don't want it you know it's the only real feud between two women and it's not even for the women's championship and it's not even between two competent wrestlers and god forbid i wouldn't want the women's title in a thing that involves an arm wrestling contest but then you've got pervy jerry lawler in there i mean rightfully Cole slags him off and calls him a pervert on uh, outright on commentary, but, mm. but weirdly when you think of it for two thousand, I think what the goal was is to think that oh, Michael Cole's just being a prude in there and like oh, like you know you're in there, Kings in there with two beautiful women, whereas now you're like yes, good on you, Michael Cole, please call out this creepy old man. Yeah, please, please call out the really creepy Uncle Richard that you don't allow around the household uh, when your kids are wearing swimming costumes under the age of sixteen. It's fucking creepy absolutely creepy and it's and it's more than that it's boring it's really boring it's just a lot of stretching lots of like time wasting and then ends up just being terry water spits and cat kicks her ass out of us and then you have the moment that might have been the creepiest thing i'd seen from jerry lawler all the time that i've watched that i've been doing these reviews with you and i i know that they're married in real life so 
that's not an issue what like what two adults decide to do together outside of the rest of the ring etc um that's up to them but this this still feels creepy as fuck when you've got Jay Lawler telling Cat off for doing a Bronco Buster and then sits in the corner and wants her to do it to himself. And it made my skin crawl, I have to admit. So this this was just a debacle. Um and unfortunately represented some of the worst elements of WWF at this time, in that even if you had tremendous wrestling, they gave too much focus to this really creepy perverted section. Um and if you think that I checked this, this entire thing went seven minutes long. Um, and there's a distinct possibility uh, it was longer than that pretty much every match. In fact, if I go back and check, the longest match of this show was five minutes 50. And this whole debacle went seven minutes long. And I just think you could have used this seven minutes to add a few more minutes to D'Lo and Benoit. You could have added a couple more minutes to both of the King of the Ring qualifying matches. The things that actually matter, because unfortunately, apart from a flash of Cat's Fong, pretty much, when she's doing the Bronco Buster, which was awfully done, by the way, um, it's not very memorable and it's not very interesting. And it just ends up putting a... It's like having a really lovely collection of grapes you've been eating on, and then suddenly someone puts a dog poo in the middle of it. Why does every non-wrestler at this period think they could do a Bronco Buster? Like, the Briscoe keeps saying he's going to do a Bronco Buster, like me young kept doing it, and now Cat, who can't wrestle, wants to do it. Like, what? what is it? I mean, X, if I was Xbox, I'd be having a word with everywhere. Like, stop stealing my move. I'm the only one who can actually do it. I don't yep. care if I injured my arsehole that one time. That was one time out of a million. <laughs> It's a, it's a case of like what like the expert can do it don't try and copy it and i wouldn't be surprised if it's like all of these are vince saying oh i think you should do it etc and because he thinks it'll be funny guess what vince it's not funny if it in fact sometimes it's really cringy and it puts a really bad look on the show itself because it just shows it's almost like it shows that it's not a case that there are some ebbs and flows to the show and it can't happen. You're deciding to put these ebbs in, which drops the quality of the overall show. Cause like you up till then, I was really enjoying the show. I was thinking to myself, this has got some tremendous pacing going. It's got a fascinating story, got some interesting matches. It's developing storylines. I was like, this currently is like, like smashing balls out of the park. And then it came in and smashed a pumpkin instead and got nothing out of it. And it's just, this was this was an awful segment and the the lesser we talk about it the better for me yeah i totally agree i mean but yeah jerry waste time by stretching and all that shit uh then has to get water and then every time they go we actually start the thing and then also can't say i'm gonna do that as well uh jerry takes some water spits in cat's face like we said and then she wins she sheets to win the arm wrestling contest bronco buster king wants one and then biscuit uh the cat leaves as jailer, please try to come back and looks just so sad. Please fucking kill me. Uh, at seven minutes, seven long minutes of my life, I will not get back. I was on my phone for most of this segment. Okay, let's go on just back to the main story. Xbox, Kimbo Doll versus Undertaker. Well, even though I'm glad to be back to the main story, this was easily the worst of the three matches where their number one contendership was on the line. I would agree with that. This was, um, so first of all, for the last time ever, 
we are going to have our running total. So, so far, we have seen four matches that were already set up on the card prior to the beginning of the show. We now have our first match of the night that was announced after the show began. Because, you know, we've got to have a bit of that before we actually finish uh, my uh, role on this show. So, um, my first thought in regards to this match is similar to you in that it's the weakest of the three um, because it is pretty much the undertaker goes in, destroys two people and then gets the pinfall. But my second thought is I was actually quite impressed by X-Pac because um, Al, the man got thrown over the top rope and landed back first on the floor. Like a piece of steak got dropped on marble. It was painful. It sounded, it reminded me of when the rock threw X pack out of the ring at Royal rumble and he landed straight on his back. And yet less than 10 seconds later, X pack is back up and back in the ring. And it's that moment. I actually wrote down. I can understand why Vince is so big on X-Pac because he <laughs> loves X-Pac. He's he, like when Jericho was doing badly in his first start, he said, you can now be put with X-Pac and show now to do a good match, which at the time when I read it, I was a little bit questionable, but I feel like X-Pac has earned the, um, the respect and uh, trust of the people around him. Because I think if that had happened to me, I'd still be on the floor five minutes later. Right, and I'd still be like, I can't get back up. Whereas he rode over in 10 seconds, got back in the ring and still took a choke slam, which is so, is hard enough in the, in the ring, but probably even worse after you've just throw, been thrown pretty much onto the concrete floor. So um, not a great match, mainly achieved what it had to do. Um, I mean, The Undertaker didn't even take off his leather jacket, but um it's an emphatic destruction that puts Undertaker over as what a force he is, which for those who may not have been watching uh, WWF when he was last in, may be really important to really put over how much of an icon and force he can be. But also just, well, main thing is fair play to X-Pac. He probably came out of this impressing me more than anyone. Um, I'd say the after bits were, more, were better than the match itself. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, Xbox, most of which we didn't, is on God knows where else. He probably doesn't even feel that's why he got back up so quickly. <laughs> you got Vince on commentary as well. Uh, you know, going back to his old uh, commentary, Vince McMahon voice for a little bit. Uh, and also gets more and more worried as he sees Xbox and Rodog getting easily dismantled by The Undertaker. And also, as you mentioned, like during earlier matches and then during these three particularly, like, the commentators are constantly trying to figure it out. Like, but, but he wins, and he was a like, Jerry Lockheed. He says, like, three people cannot be number one contender. Like, three people cannot be one, he says at one point, which makes me think, hmm, Jerry Lockheed would definitely have a hard time if he doesn't think three people can be one. He definitely would have a hard time following uh, Midnight. So it's probably not the audience for that. Uh, I, was thinking he was, I was thinking he was obviously not a Spice Girl fan because he obviously doesn't understand how two can become one. Um, and I'm assuming also he's not very religious because uh, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are supposed to be the same person. Evidently, turns out Jerry the King Lawler isn't Catholic. I'm very surprised. No. No, you know. It's, oh, I'll get me good to there, but no, that's inappropriate. Uh, yeah, so then to basically extend this out by an extra 30 seconds or so, they have those typical heels want to leave. Even though Vince says, oh, they're just regrouping, you know, they're strategies, even though they're clearly trying to leave. And then the Dudley boys, who they're currently feuding with, come out, they block their, ex- their escape. 
they get sent back in the ring, like very wicked looking chokeslams, especially the one on Xbox. Uh, again, without taking his jacket off or anything, like I think for a part of this, he even had his sunglasses still on. Uh, Taker pins Xbox for the win, so Undertaker is apparently for now the number one contender. To which point, uh, after the break, DX and Vince come back and they're like, oh, you know, it wasn't our fault. It was like, it was like, oh, so it was those damn Dudleys. And Triple H just looks at him with such disdain, like, all I'm hearing is a bunch of dev excuses. <laughs> oh, I did, I did like that moment, I had to admit. Um, it's not often you see Vince being, like, so um, sheepish uh, and trying to, like, make out that it's nothing to do with him. And then Triple H just like, I ain't hearing your shit. This is just a bunch of damn excuses. Um, which turns out was a brilliant setup for a later brick joke, which I am going to point out because I thought it was fucking brilliant. But um, yeah, out of the three normal contender matches, this is the most um, underwhelming, but it also accomplished what it was supposed to do. So I can't complain too much regarding that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Then we have Harper Holly taking on Chris Jericho. Uh, this is set up the fact that just randomly decided, oh, because Valvius got a title shot against Ben while he was meant to on the row after Judgment Day, after that whole weird setup for the, the Go Hope show, that weird tag match. Then also Holly got some, involved, and then Jericho attacked Holly after that. And uh, then it led to a triple threat match on the SmackDown that you missed, which Target Holly won for some reason to then get the title shot on uh, on Raw this week. And I think Jericho got involved there as well. So now Holly and Jericho are having a, a weird mini feud for some reason on television. And then Jericho comes out, he says to Holly, like, you know, we don't need to fight. You and I can discuss this out over a drink like reasonable gentlemen. You can bring some cognac for me, and I can bring some Rogaine for you. <laughs> which, uh, which uh, for those for those who don't realise, Rogaine is meant to help you if you're losing your hair. So he's applying Harker Holly. His hair is very thin, by the way. It's all becoming Kurt Angle before, towards the end of levels of translucent, even though it's blonde. <laughs> I, I, had to admit, um, I had to look up to see what it was, and as soon as I did, I had to admit, I thought, okay, fair play, Jericho. I like that one. So, uh, Jericho, back when he was still funny, you know, mm. and didn't claim he was a wizard. He's a wizard! He's a wizard! <laughs> what, Arthur, Grand Wizard? Me. <laughs> well, I mean, he played the Grand Wizard in a Kevin Smith movie, but, you know, Oh, very close to the knuckle, but doesn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> he, legit, he legit did, you know. <laughs> anyway, Holly, Holly, you come near me again, try to cross me icy towel, I'll throw a fireball on your face. I'm a loser. <laughs> but yeah, then, uh, and he does usual never ever again when Cheryl or doesn't like because he's a heel. Uh, and then they have a match, uh, a decent match, you know. Uh, I'm not really the biggest fan of uh, Harker Holly. You go in the match, well, the first thing that happened is Jericho gets his head caught up in the ropes and nearly fucks his head up like Enzo Amore did at Payback that one time. Oh, God, uh, that, was, that could have been terrifying. I will say, I did. When I saw that, I had a brief moment. I was like, oh, fuck. And then, thankfully, Jericho got up straight away, but that could have ended really badly, couldn't it? Yeah. Harker uh, Holly works stiff because that's the only way he actually knows because he's a prick. And... Uh, it ends with Benoit tries to get on the apron with a chair. All I think gets sent in. Jericho sends Holly into it and gets a roll up for the win. And hopefully, this ends this random TV feud that I didn't ask for between Holly and Jericho. It's a very random feud to put 
together. Um, especially like there's it's really there's only a couple of weeks really until King of the Rings, so you think that they would better utilize that time. Um, but I can't complain too much because of the fact I've been saying already I like seeing stories that develop on the show and build on what's happened previously and this is actually what they're doing they're showing like the um they introduced like multiple contenders to the ic title in jericho val venus and hardcore holly they're each getting an opportunity at a title shot but they're all also getting in each other's way because of it and i feel that's a really clever way of making the ic title feel important and if you get to a point that two individuals are fighting not over the title, but just an opportunity to be involved in the title, then that makes that title matter. Yeah. So also I think by this point, like I said, all eyes are looking at the King of King of the Ring because we've got a lot of uh, matches to have for this tournament because they're doing this qualifying room, which is technically the first round. Then they're going to do additional room, which they typically call in the first round, even though it's technically the second round. And then they're going to do on the pay-per-view like the, the final eight, like the quarters, semis, final on the actual kind of preview itself, because this was that weird period where it alternate for a couple of years, like a couple of years, it's just the semis and finals. Then it's the full tournament again. Then it's back to the semis and finals until the King of the Ring came to an end in 2002. Uh, Edge and Christian are backstage, get a pet top from Shane before their match. Uh, hopefully he had a better pet top than, but, <laughs> than what Vince had for DS, because clearly that didn't work. And then The Rock is doing his typical, you know, thing. He gets asked about The Undertaker. They go, it doesn't matter if The Undertaker's the number one contender. The Rock knows he was promised. If he beat, wins this match tonight, he's the only contender. So I don't care what the Undertaker says. The Rock's winning this match tonight. He's got a king of the ring. He's got to get his title back. And he says he's going to have a five-second... He's going to have something for the benefit of those who flash photography tonight. He's not going to be five-second poses. It's going to be you know, five minutes of The Rock kicking kicking Edge and Christian's candy ass all over Tacoma. Uh, it's, it's always amazing to see how big of a deal the walk was at this time like how much star aura he had and it makes it um very unsurprising that he would go on to be one of the biggest stars in the world because he just he just has that fantastic aura around him when um you can't help but watch and want to see what happens next so um Every time he appears on SmackDown, it's 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 a really good moment and very very great fun. So I'm very happy with that. Um, and the fact he hasn't appeared at all so far to build up the anticipation of it. So it's it's interesting that he he wasn't involved in the scene earlier on when he got his title shot. Um, they just had Shane um, talk about it, which. You'd be, which is quite, which is interesting because it really builds up the anticipation of when you do see him. But I like the fact that just talking about him feels like a big deal, so it makes it even more important when you actually see him. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's interesting that the way he does point because he had Taker confront Vince Bray's title shot, Kane did the same with Triple H, but these they just talked about The Rock and then had him show up here, and then The Rock uh, really takes a back scene in this episode because you know he clicks claim what's The Rock show and he's Play a favorite, you think, at the three to get the belt back from Triple H, even though they're trying to keep it unpredictable. That uh, his, his matches again in the middle of the show, and it's Kane that gets the main event spot against Triple H, which I think goes back to what you were saying earlier about you know shaking things up a wee bit with adding more to the main event scene with the addition of Kane and The Undertaker, which mm-hmm. feels fresh after a while because in 98, Kane and Undertaker were just always around Austin in the title, 
the fact that they both had some time away, it feels like freshening up what it has been the last couple of months, what has been for the last couple of months, like Triple H and The Rock. Yeah, I think um, the you don't like you've already have it that The Rock is a legitimate main eventer, so you don't have to have him in the main event. He's a big deal regardless, um, and you've got it that The Undertaker is relatively similar, um, maybe not before he left, but is a big enough deal that he doesn't need to be in the main event. Whereas Kane is probably the one that's most likely out of the three to not win their number one contendership match. And also Triple H is the biggest challenge of all three of them. So I think it was a really good idea to go with Kane versus Triple H because it was the one that had probably the most uncertainty to it. So I agree with that decision. Yeah, uh, so that takes into the match with Rock versus Edge and Christian. No five second pose from Edge and Christian this week. But uh, yeah, Shane in, the, in their corner. The Rock does hold his own with Edge and Christian until uh, there's a distraction by Edge to Edge Christian. Like a dive off the apron on the outside, which then helps them work over the Rock for a little bit. You know, so there's actually some, it does feel like the Rock's in a bit more jeopardy here than uh, than Taker was earlier on. You know, he's up, get slammed into like, the announce table at one point. Uh, there's also a rev bump because, of course, there is with the late Tim White who recently passed away. So RP to Tim White. Uh, I enjoyed uh, watching Tim White the referee. Uh, Edge accidentally hits Christian with their signature weapon, the ring bell. Uh, one point, uh, someone dropped by the rock, but before he can really, rock can really properly get back in it, she comes in, smacks the rock very hard with a chair. Uh, but also because they had to wake up, the pulls Christian on top of him because the ref has to. Properly wake up, he slowly counts, and the rock manages to kick out, which does get a big reaction. Uh, rock comes back, it's the people's elbow and edge for the win, which then again makes the uh, commentators go a bit crazy trying to figure out because like, they can't, like, but he's not going to, but Undertaker won his match, he's not going to dare, but what about Kane? And um, you, you can just listen to Jerry Lawler at this point trying to work it out and how much he's stammering about it. You think if the camera panned to Jerry Lawler at the moment, he'd probably have smoke coming out of his ears, he's struggling so hard to, to figure this out. Evidently, mass was not his strong point when he was uh, at school. Um, so Edge and Christian are technically the ones to blame for this match. They were the ones who spent half an hour in the car with Shane asking for a title shot. So Shane technically afterwards could be like, do you know what? The Rock never would have got an opportunity if Edge and Christian hadn't left me alone or something like that. Um, but it says how serious that they're taking this match that they don't do the five-second pose. But I did also find it interesting that The Undertaker had both X-Pac and Road Dogg in the ring at the same time, whereas Christian and Edge had to tag each other in. And I thought that was a really good, subtle way of demonstrating the fact that um, the difference between The Rock and The Undertaker in that, yes, The Rock is a tremendous competitor, but he's rel- he's, a, he's relatively um, more vulnerable than an Undertaker or a Kane figure. So he can't take on both men at the same time. He'll try but it's not as easy for him as it would be for a force like The Undertaker. So I like that con- contrast between the two of them, and I think it shows how much of a team Edge and Christian are that they naturally tag each other in and out, whereas X-Pac and Road Dog, I don't think have ever really been the same level of a tag team um, because X-Pac's more of an individual and Road Dog was more used to tagging with Billy Gunn. So the character tropes of the of uh, all of these uh, individuals, I thought, was really interestingly played in. Um, and I think it's demonstrated as well in the point that Edge, uh, 
has it at one point. He gets clotheslined by The Rock on the outside, and The Rock walks straight into a clothesline from Christian off the apron. Um, and that shows how much more difficult it was for The Rock. Um, and the spear to referee Tim White, who, just like you, um, I also want to pay my respects to because he's been quite an integral part of not just uh, WWE history, but probably my, my childhood as, as well, watching and the fact he... He's been there since like the days of being Andre the Giant's like confidant, and he was always an integral part. So it was a shock. Um, he does really well here selling the spear, and you have that moment where you think the screw job could be could be about to happen um, because of the way it's set up. Um, and yet, somehow, still, The Rock finds a way of getting through. And it, this match was great fun. Uh, the The Rock is always dynamite television, so. This is like five, six minutes of like pure like lightning on on screen. It always it's weird. You you always feel something different when the rock is there. You just feel the electricity that is going through the like. Even if he's doing nothing, you can feel the electricity. And then just to cap it all off, probably the best part of the night when Shane tries explaining to the rest of the man Helmsley regime what happened, and Vince responds with, "All we hear." is a bunch of excuses. And you see this moment where Triple H looks up at him with a look of incredulous, as if say, did I just fucking hear you say that? (laughs) Which I thought was like amazing. But um, I would say from the moment Edge and Christian come out to the moment that uh, Triple H gives that look, I want to change a single thing about this segment. I thought it was fantastic. I do love that they they complained. He said that he was going to, He's a he's all of the officially and bad officially around here and the uh and they were all breath and various. I just doing Vince Government looks at trouble she's gonna get his head out and like like oh this is my chance for like to turn the blame around to to Shane because Vince doesn't like people being angry with all we hear is a bunch of excuses and then yeah Triple H you could hear his inner mall he'd be like, Bro, are you serious right now? The fuck did you just say? <laughs> the audacity, the unmitigated goal. Are you shitting me right now? <laughs> I, oh, it was just, now, now that is actually funny. That's when WWE do like comedy like that. It is kind of funny. I have to admit, it's better than whatever Pat Patterson and Joe Briscoe will never be do over the next couple of weeks while you're watching, and I'm not. Um, so good luck with that. But yeah, I as a match, as a segment, I really enjoyed all of it. I'd say. Yeah, I really enjoyed this as well. Uh, uh, another quick kind of in qualifying match quickly. Uh, after this, the match they do uh, they do do feel the need to recap the King of the tournament, including recapping this match or a bit of watch, even though we just seen it. And then they do advertise that there are a few King of the Ring qualifying matches happening on Sydney Heat because clearly don't have enough hours across for on SmackDown to do it. Which I think by this point, even uh, I think even by this point, because of how popular SmackDown is. Doing this, including Sydney Heat, and this is like when in the dying days of 205 Live, and I mean the proper dying days when it wasn't even about cruiserweights anymore, mm-hmm. when NXT did uh, include some of the men's and women's Dusty Classic on that show, because they only had a limited number of weeks. So that's kind of the 2000 equivalent of still <laughs> including Sydney Heat in this. The only, you could t- if they were really desperate, you, they would have included, oh yeah, and by the way, another qualifier on my ground, it's like will fight Al Snow on WF Metal or WF Jack. Or- well, the other extra shows were at that time. 
this is uh, a WWF LimeWire. This is our episode of uh, uh, basically recapping everything that happened. But because we don't have enough time to recap everything, we've also got WWF LimeWire Extra, where we'll show uh, the latest qualifying match for the King of the Ring, which will feature Al Snow versus Perry Saturn, who currently neither of which are doing well enough to appear on Sunday Night Heat or Metal. And if you're if you're still wanting to see more Kane interaction, please turn in to do it. Flymire Elevation to watch Tess versus Gangrel, who yes, we're both shot. We're also shot to still employed by us. <laughs> Amazingly, one of them will still be with us within three years' time. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it's Crash versus Albert. Uh, also, a bit funny talking about Tess. A funny bit of continuity. There was a random six-man title, which is much better than the six-person I complained about earlier. But you had a uh, Test, uh, Albert and Val Venus against the Hardys and Jericho and it was like set up by uh, Steph because I think there was a thing between her and Jericho on Sunday, the previous like Sunday Night Heat and then uh, she goes uh, while she's talking she's looking at uh, uh, Trish and Test obviously still heartbroken over what David did to him is mimicking her while she can't see him and literally the minute she leaves he just goes bitch <laughs> so you know Test never forgets Test will always be bitter, as we know. So he will never move on from that bitterness. It is now part of him. Like uh, he's he's like seven foot two, and about uh, three foot two of that is bitterness and grumpiness. Uh, so yeah, Crash. Uh, what what else were you expecting? Crash gets battered for the most part. For some reason, he thinks it's a smart idea to try a hip toss because he thinks he's four hundred pounds. I dare Lola for all his faults. I do like the fact when. Uh, when Michael Cole tries to say, oh, Crash may be a bit of a size disadvantage, like, what are you talking about? Albert's barely 300 pounds. Crash is over 400. Crash has definitely got the size advantage here. This is one of the few times I will say, well done to Jerry the King Lawler for following what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, This was actually a really good way of doing it, and I was actually relatively happy and shot and was had a brief moment where I thought that just shows like you you choose to be a dick you could actually have been really good and oh I I hate to say I'm not gonna miss this man Uh, so yeah and Crash manages to get that one roll up that one opportunity Crash wins Crash is going to the king of the ring and then immediately he celebrates his end by him just getting shoved right into the post by Trish Stratus on the outside. <laughs> yeah, the only time when uh, Trish Stratus can, like, uh, is um, taller and stronger than the man that she's beating up. Poor Crash. So. <laughs> uh, poor Elroy. Anyway, so given everybody's uh, feelings earlier on the night, Triple H basically says to everybody, don't come out tonight. From that match with Kane, I'll get it done. No, I'll get it done by myself. Because uh, obviously everyone else is fucked up. And so Kane comes out, you know, Triple H time ready to go, and then Kane gets on the microphone. And I really don't think this should have been Kane. And since I think this is a time where, as you know, what's the style of the time? Linda should have came out. Uh, Linda should have came out and been the one to make this announcement because she always loves doing these kind of announcements to kind of you know stick it to Vince and everybody else. But Kane basically says, referee leave and he said this match will have a special guest referee and i'm trying to think i could i was racking me i could not think for like me who this was going to be because i'd forgotten about how all had been taken out uh like months ago 
and then goes that and he goes, Earl Hefner. And then Earl Hefner actually gets a pop as he comes out to the fucking SmackDown theme as Triple H and Daryl respectively are obviously like, Hi, what? Earl Hefner? Well, I never. It's very... It, it's a bit weird to have um, like like a... Uh, uh, J.D. King Lauder puts it. Um, he's re- uh, Kane's really turned into a ca- uh, chatty Caffey all of a sudden, uh, which I was like, "Damn it, that's actually right." Shut the fuck up, King. You're making too many good points. Um, it's it's in, it's um it's kind of nice to see oh having a return to a good ovation. Um, it is. I I will mention it was slightly strange in places because you see like Tim White leaving the ring and being replaced by Earl Hebner, whose brother Dave also recently passed away. And it's um again, uh, respects to Dave Earl and Brian in terms of that one. Um, you really start feeling the history of the show that you're watching. How much time has passed, and it's the part of it has a um had a brief like um sad nostalgia to it but i love the fact that they could have these big reactions back then like even tim white running out of the ring like the i think the crowd like laughed a little bit along with it where he's like i ain't i ain't disagreeing with the k you know i'm fucking out of here and then i'll have no uh comes out to a good ovation etc and this is a case where like um they do really good work into putting all the characters seem to matter which fair play to them uh it's quite interesting to see that without this um third announced match of the evening our original main event was going to be crash holly versus albert um in which case i would have asked for um money back uh, and that sort of thing um it's uh, it's, it's it's just a bit strange this setup. This really feels like a moment where you would have had Linda come in, like you said. And I'm very surprised that they had Kane speak so much during this time. Um, yeah, just a little bit confused by the decision, I guess, more than anything. But you know, fair play. It's done. Move on. Get ready for the big match where you've got um, uh, Kane taking on Triple H with uh, Triple H's favorite referee, uh, Hebner, now in charge. So. Good luck to that one. Yeah, so, Triple H versus Earl Hebner is the only rivalry in the WWF, and it will continue for a good few years. But at this point, it's the only rivalry in the WWF that's been going longer than the bloody Cat Teddy fiasco that we've been having to endure for the last few months. And talking about Earl, yeah, he also made an appearance uh, at a guest at Slammiversary this past week, uh, and his son Brian refereed his final match uh, before retiring. Uh, refereeing the main event of Slammiversary so been a up and down the past few weeks for the, the Ebner squad obviously Dave sadly passed away but then also the Ebner got to appear at Slammiversary and obviously were given the due respect by by the fans there uh, obviously him yelling at like, Triple H gets into Earl's face as soon as he gets in the ring which allows Kane to jump Triple H you know Kane has the advantage for most of this match uh, Triple H tries to do the face buster which then Kane knows so like idiot I've got a mask on uh, which is weird. Yeah, he's so fond of a mask. Anyway, uh, I said I wouldn't be political. Keane uh, <laughs> is fairly dominant for most of this, and then up into the fight where Triple H does try to get some, some offense back in. He gets annoyed and brings a chair in, which Earl Hebner takes away. And that brief second of looking at, back at Earl Hebner allows Keane to catch Triple H with a choke slap. And Keane gets the win, and again poses with Triple H's belt they just got back. 
And I know also Kane then having to win then sets up three number one contenders, which again is the overall story. And I know I took the piss earlier on, but it is a good story to get as to where we need to go. But it is still surprising to see Triple H, a man who's been very fairly protected leading up to this and in later years would become a bit too protected in his reign of terror, uh, get beaten so succinctly by Kane, even though it's a non-title match and there was the Earl Hebner factor here. So yeah, now we have three people who all have a claim that they are the number one contender because they won matches that they were promised if they won, they'd become the number one contender. And you're thinking, ah, King of the Ring, is this going to lead to a fatal four-way? Better. A six-man tag team match for the WF title, which is actually better than you think it sounds. It is better than it sounds because I have to admit, I would have thought the a fatal four-way was the perfect setup by this point. And the fact that they went down a completely different road was, um, you know, fair play. Uh, it's a way of, like, making the story make sense, but surprising at the same time. And it did end up being better than expected. Um, I think this is this is round about the point where Triple H was able to put over individuals in a really convincing matter that made them look like a real challenge. Um, so I was happy with that. Kane came across really well here. Um, absolutely pretty much destroying um, Triple H to some degrees. And Triple H, and again, it's Triple H's hubris. Just like the, the entire night has been about the heels try, uh, being too arrogant or too cocky about something and it backfiring on them. And here it happens where um, he tries to get the uh, chair so that he can attack Kane with it. And ends up having it pulled away from him and turns around straight away into a choke sound from Kane. And it's that moment where by going with the wrong decision, this is the repercussion of your actions. And from the beginning of the night started off with a pissed off Triple H wanting his title back. And by the end of the night, he's got his title back, but he's now got three number one contenders to deal with. And I, I love the fact that Earl Hebner makes a very clean free count. So there's no chances of uh, Triple H blaming um, Earl Hebner screwing him over. It's like a very legitimate free count, which is really important. And also I love the fact that Kane takes the title and lays it down on Triple H to say, enjoy this while you still have it. Um, yeah, I, I was very happy with the way they did this. I thought they came away from it doing really well. And even the fact that the faction didn't come down to help because they were specifically told by Triple H not to. And so this is where Triple H be now going to go at them all night for doing for going against his decisions or doing things without his permission. Well, now they listen to him and now he has a third number one contender. And again, it's the hubris and the arrogance and being taught um, how your decisions will backfire on you. And as an episode, that just makes it Oh, even better. And I'm just like, the more I talk about it, the more I think how good this episode actually was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know it had one obvious black mark on it with that fucking arm wrestling thing, uh, which sorts from potentially it being a perfect episode. And we agreed to also some matches were a bit too short, but I think the other than that arm wrestling thing, there wasn't a match on here that wasn't entertaining in some way. I mean, maybe with the exception of that that match with Taker, but at least he's got to see X for taking some wicked bunts in it. Uh, I I overall really enjoy this. I'm going to hold off on my arena of it because I want to hear what your final thoughts are. But I definitely think that any match, every match here had a purpose here. Like most of them were advancing some sort of story. 
like, even to a point where like there were quite a few backstage bits, but I didn't even mind those because then they, they were dealing with the repercussions of or the backstage thing where you set up a match and then a match would somehow backfire on the heels and then the heels had to deal with the repercussions and confront the other heels with their mistake. So I don't even mind the amount of times they had to go backstage on this show. But I'm interested to hear your overall thoughts on your last episode as a full-time uh, my full-time co-host. I also want to hear what you'd recommend to people to check out and your overall thumb rating. Um, so my overall thoughts is that I thought this was a very fast-paced show. I thought it had some tremendous consistency. Like it starts off relatively strong and for the majority of the show stays at that level or gets better apart from that one segment. Um, I agree with you and I thought nearly every match had a point to it. There was an interest. There was an interesting reason behind every single match. Either it was a grudge match or it was a title match or it was a qualifying match or whatever. There was a reason to all of it, which is what I love to see. Um, really fantastic building of the story in the first half in order to pay off in the second half. So it has that build up of anticipation as well, which I love. Um, I thought the King of the Ring qualifying matches, they were both short, but they were relatively solid for what they were um, and achieve what they wanted, which was make uh, Angle look like a legitimate technical threat and put over Crash as a, um, a slightly lucky giant killer. We got, what for two year 2000 television was a pretty good intercontinental title match. Uh, I thought Dilo Brown put in one of his better performances that has seen in a while. Uh, and it, Benoit just continues being a reliable MVP of every show he's on pretty much. Um, the three qualifying matches were all good for different reasons. Undertakers was a destruction. Uh, the rocks was a, battling from underneath and Kane was a legit legitimizing of a threat, which I like. Um, the, the only real major negative is, as we said it, the awful and boring arm wrestling match in, uh, between Kat and Terry. And unfortunately it takes everything bad about this period and intensifies it to a major degree in that, um, it's, boring television around a feud that nobody cares about where neither competitor can actually, well, I say competitor, neither individual can actually perform as a wrestler. Um, it's more about tits than it is about actual wrestling. Jerry the King Lauder is at his unbearable worst. Um, I would go so far as to say if you remove this segment completely and just move that seven minutes out to everything else, like you, I would say we probably have the perfect episode. And in fact, if not for that segment, I probably would have actually given this two thumbs up because it's, it achieves everything it wants to. And it's, it's, there was very little to complain or get annoyed about. Everything had a reason, which I love, but this segment was too much of a black mark to go to those two thumbs up. So because of that, Without the segment, it's two thumbs up. With the segment, it's one thumb up. So I'm going to go with one thumbs up uh, in regards to this one. And I'd say the match I'd probably recommend is that even though I want to recommend the Benoit versus Dino Brown match to some degrees in terms of what was a good intercontinental title match on television at the time, there was like, there's just not, there's just, it's 
too short in terms of like you feel they could have done so much better with so much more. So I'm going to go with Rock versus Edge in Christian in that you have what were three of the most reliable, consistent individuals in the company at the time. Um, Edge and Christian look very good trying to take advantage and getting their title shot. The Rock looks like a badass battling back in a reasonable, legitimate way. Uh, the near fall was fantastic. The screw job you get convinced you are getting drawn into. And the victory is very cathartic and worth celebrating. And I'd say it takes a lot of what is good about wrestling at this time. And is it in just six minutes? So I would recommend Rock versus Edge and Christian. Yeah, I definitely think uh, Christian V. The Rock is a solid contender there. I'd also give it one thumbs up. Like I said, I can't possibly give a show with that god-awful segment two thumbs up, and I'm so close to doing it as well. Mm. So, yeah. I, I mean, you could basically say watch this episode and then immediately skip over that arm wrestling thing, and you'll still be fairly you know, entertained. Uh, I think I'm going to say combined like, the Kane opening segment and the match itself. Uh, with an honourable mention to the tag team title match, but also that kind of carries into the Kane stuff as well. But the segment and the match with Kane Triple H, because, well, it further finalises the story, ends on a big like, question, like, what's going to happen now that there's a third number one contender? But also Kane, you know, even though he talks a bit too much, like we said, it's a rare occasion of him getting the better of somebody, because up to that point, you know, Triple H starts by talking down to him. He's been portrayed as a bit of a simpleton that some people take advantage of. We've had people openly calling on the big red retard. Mm. Uh, so it's nice to see Kane show that he's actually smarter than everybody kind of realises. So and plus it, it's a big win for him over the WF champion after he's been gone for over a month and a bit. So it really that puts Kane right back into the title scene. But every time I see him holding up the WF title doing this, I'm like, God, that bill actually looks, that design of the bill actually looks good with you. I mean, I wish... <laughs> I wish you'd gotten more than just a day with that design of the fucking bill. It makes me very angry. I did think at some points that this is probably an episode that Scott is going to love because of how well Kane is put across. It's probably one of the stronger episodes I've seen for Kane the entirety of the time I've been doing these retro reviews. Um, and I just suddenly thought, saying, um, if, I, if I was asked to recommend this um, show for just watching the segments, and by that I mean like the mcmahon Holmesy stuff, uh, for the entire storyline, would I? And I just realised I would say, yes, I would, actually. Because um, <laughs> I think it's one of the few episodes where the mcmahon Holmesy regime isn't frustrating or over-the-top or laborious or anything like that. It, it Like, the times are relatively well-paced. They don't overdo it. Um, and... The story is fascinating and the interplays are really funny. And it's just, it overall works really well. So I'd go so far as to say that even the Maman Holmesy regime uh, segments and everyone involved with them, I would recommend highly uh, just because it's a, it's one of the best episodic shows you're going to see in terms of telling an overall story. And I, I really, I do miss when you could watch an episode and have a really good story throughout the entire show. Um, and we just don't get that as much. I don't think nowadays really, but um, yeah, I, I go so far as to say, I almost picked the perfect episode to go out on in terms of it had a lot of stuff. I love in that the matches mattered. It had 
a segment that I am going to hate with all my heart and have a lot of the negatives that I've been spouting about for the last couple of months or whatever. Um, and also it pays back to my gimmick of uh, announcing matches on the night and tallying them. So we had three unannounced matches and we had six originally announced matches for what ended up being a nine match card where our original main event was Crash Holly versus Albert in a King of the Ring qualifying match and thankfully got replaced by Triple H versus Kane. I felt this was like the perfect episode for me to go out on and I just really wish I could have ended it with two thumbs up, but nope. This is definitely a strong one thumbs up, and I would say an episode worth watching. Yeah, 100%. Definitely one episode by most worth watching, or all that I think we ever really covered across this whole review. Uh, and you know, that's the thing, they couldn't let you have not everything can be perfect. You know, you had to have that one segment just to bring it down ever so slightly. That one little bit of frustration to really, you know, send you on your way. But yeah, um. Uh, thank you once again for for being the coolest and that I needed in the time that uh, in the time that you were here. Uh, you are giving it back. We we're going to try and make it work for you to be here for King of the Ring. And I had some things I really had to fill in and explain to you, even though you only missed one week. I'm pretty sure there are two more episodes of SmackDown, two more Raws before King of the Ring. So by the time you come back for King of the Ring, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to explain. Got to dedicate a good 10, 15 minutes to say, Sam, okay, so here's what you missed. So this happened and this happened. He beat him. Yeah, I'm going to be so confused. It's going to, it's, <laughs> it's, you're going to have to treat me like Michael Cole treats the WWE universe and reiterate to me every 10 minutes what I've just missed. So that should be really beneficial, hopefully. Um, but God, I'm, I'm looking forward to King of the Ring, I have to admit. And I think, um, Whoever takes, whoever does end up taking my place, um, if they can be consistent and reliable enough, will really enjoy it. So I hope that you have a, you get a good replacement and uh, miss me just enough that you'll bring me back again, uh, <laughs> and so on. Um, it's been really good. Um, it's been actually, I've had some tremendous moments looking back on shows that I enjoyed. Seeing the birth of the twenty four seven hardcore division, I have to admit, was something that meant a lot to me from having seen this and it was just nice to see a lot of stuff that i originally watched as a child and being able to see it in a new light and with um and looking back etc so that makes me especially happy so thank so you for we, the opportunity yeah you may not be on this show but you will still be part of the world opinions uh, on a more you know every so often uh, basis you and i will be probably doing stuff together wrestling or otherwise and whenever we can you know, get our schedules together, but I think it'll make it feel a little more special if it's when we're doing, if it gives us now the more opportunity to do stuff occasionally outside of this. But in the meantime, before we are joined again, podcasting wise, for whatever as we choose to talk about, uh, let people know what else you have got to go on. Give us all your plugs. So uh, my plugs are probably actually going to be relatively uh, minimal. There's only one I really want to uh, mention, which was that recently on WrestleJoy, I did a uh, article I'm especially proud of, which was in the lead up to Impact Slammiversary, where I discussed Josh Alexander's relationship with Slammiversary, specifically the fact that all four times he has appeared at Slammiversary this year would have been his fourth um, has been a major part of his gradual development from being a also ran of the impact roster to becoming the 
I'd say close to an ace of impact wrestling. I feel that the work he's been putting in for the last year or two, especially has been extremely impressive and he has very much earned his position as the impact world champion. And this is me looking about at why Slammiversary as a pay-per-view helped so much in his career. So I'm very proud of that article, um, especially, and I'm hoping to do some similar things. I'm hoping to do some retrospectives maybe for the next month or two for July. Um, I might like to see into doing a retrospective of SummerSlam 2002 uh, in celebration of its 20-year anniversary. Uh, might even have a look at a couple of films from the last 10, 15 years maybe, but these are all possibilities. The one for definite I would like people to go out and read is the WrestleJoy one with Josh Alexander, one I'm very proud of. So that's it. Very good. Uh, and also, like I said, me and him will probably be doing some stuff on fans whenever we can get together and uh, looking forward to whenever we're throwing some ideas across for that but for me you can follow uh rogue opinions at rogue square pains follow my other podcast got on balls around the which is on this feed and its own feed at sp and follow me it's coming up in 1986 uh and easy uh very soon the episode of me and sat uh very soon me and carl will be covering the the kenobi finale and then we'll be Quickly moving on, we've already got a big schedule ahead of us to me and Carl. We you know, look at Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, you know that that's finally on Disney Plus. And then we're going to, we're going to take a jump from uh, from Disney Plus over to Amazon Prime for a couple of weeks as we look at the latest season of The Boys. And then we've got all sorts of uh, shows that come out this year that we want to talk about. So me and her are going to be busy. Podding will definitely not be easy for the rest of 2022. <laughs> uh, Talking about King of the Ring, if you want to look at some other examples of how the King of the Ring can build someone up, you can look at that recent ACSR podcast that I did where we looked at King of the Ring 2002. Uh, but also you can see an example of that with an old podcast, one of the first podcasts that me and Paul did as part of the Rogue Pines family with our show being on the feed, which was a review of King of the Ring 1993. You've got to scroll back a couple of months in the back catalogue uh, wherever you get your podcast to find that King of the Ring 1993 episode probably one of the key nights in Bret Hart's whole career and some of his best performances on that show. Alyssa, uh, me and Paul, we uh, talk about Slamiversary. He and I have been talking a lot about Slamiversary recently. That'll be going up this weekend. Uh, going forward, we're going to be doing more Frasier stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing more retrospectives. And also we're going to do more retro wrestling uh, reviews. I don't know when we're going to do it, maybe some point towards the end of the summer, but uh, in the, earlier on in the year we did like a Towards the end of last year, we did like a three-part retro review where we kind of linked three. We did review, reviewed three shows a few weeks apart to kind of follow a theme. And when we did that last, we did Survivor Series '91, Texas this Tuesday in Texas '91, and '92 Royal Rumble kind of revisited because we'd already reviewed it to kind of follow the weird train of the WWE title took at that time. I've been wanting to do something like that again, where you do a series of retro reviews, me and Paul, at some point later in the year because uh, we're a month or so removed from the 20th anniversary. We're going to be looking at the transition from WWF into WWE, where at some point later in the year we're going to cover Backlash 02, Insurrection 02, the last two WWF pay-per-views, and then the first ever WWE-branded pay-per-view, Judgment Day 2002. Uh, and also, much like our previous series, Hulk Hogan is in featured spots across these shows, so much like our other series and from the 90s, we're probably going to shit on Hulk Hogan because me and Paul just love shitting on Hulk Hogan. As you should. As we should. It's very, very 
cathartic, really. So you try it yourself if you're feeling stress. Just shout, fucking Hulk Hogan, and immediately you'll feel the stress just melt away. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, both of us are fairly busy boys. Uh, this Road Rage Imagine, please check out past episodes of me and Sam and some other uh, co-hosts I've had over uh, the past episodes when I was looking for somebody. And, you know, stay tuned for us and see who else I might say to rope in to do this with me. But uh, I'm still fairly optimistic for the future of this show. Uh, and all I can say is thank you once again to Sam for joining me for this and, you know, for the past few months as my Rogue Rich Madden host. And to say it's been fun. It's been good. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. Damn, who knew? All the planes we flew, good things we've been through. That I'll be standing right here talking to you about another path. I know we love to hit the road and laugh, but something told me that it wouldn't last. Had to switch up, look at things different, see the bigger picture. Those were the days, hard work forever pays. Now I see you in a better place. Uh, how can we not talk about family when family's all that we got? Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side. And now you gon' be with me for the last it's ride. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I see you again. We've come along.